Welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, the place for peer-sourced and solution-focused insights for healthcare executives, airing every Tuesday. I'm Melanie Blackman, the Strategy Editor for Health Leaders. My guest for today's episode is Dr. Joanne Conroy, President and CEO of Dartmouth Health, New Hampshire's only academic health system. The health system serves rural communities in New Hampshire and Vermont through seven hospitals and hundreds of clinics throughout the states. Additionally, Dr. Conroy is the American Hospital Associate Chair-Elect Designate and will become chair in 2024. During our conversation, Dr. Conroy speaks about the benefits and challenges of leading a rural health system. She shares her four tenets of leadership and offers advice for future leaders. So without further ado, please enjoy our conversation. Joanne, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I really appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to speaking with you. Thank you for inviting me, Melanie. It's always a pleasure. So to start us off, can you talk a little bit about how Dartmouth Health serves its communities across New Hampshire and Vermont, and what its role is in serving those states' rural populations? When we think about the communities we serve, it's not just the patients we serve, but those communities that the patients live in. And you may say, how is that relevant? We realize that in rural parts of the country, your zip code has a lot to do with your healthcare. And so when we think about serving communities, it's not just addressing the healthcare needs of those patients we serve, but understanding and you know trying to mitigate the environmental and the social factors that lead to poorer health. I'll give you an example. We have a fabulous population health group that has a very broad definition of population health, and they've done an analysis on longevity according to zip code. And you can live in Claremont, and your anticipated lifespan would be 15 years less than if you lived in Hanover, New Hampshire. And there are many reasons why those are less healthy environments for people to live in and bring their families up in. And those are the things that we're actually focusing on addressing. The issues that are associated with simple things like appropriate housing, access to fresh food, even how the communities are addressing opiate use disorder, you know, all of those have an impact on families and communities and the health of the people that live in them. We are the most rural academic medical center, so our reach is actually really broad. Not only are we serving patients all the way up to the Canadian border, but we serve many patients from rural areas of Vermont as well. We're probably the most rural academic medical center. We only have 170,000 people within 30 mile radius. And I think the second most rural academic medical center is Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. And they have about 230,000 people within a 30 mile radius, which is how your kind of degree of your rural nature is actually determined. And with it comes, you know, great opportunities to use telehealth, to provide services to our neighboring hospitals that are not part of our network, but they take care of our populations. 
in a way that allows them to be financially strong and sustainable so they can continue to serve those communities. I think in essence, when you serve rural communities, you serve through other members of those communities, other hospitals, other organizations, others not-for-profits. That's how you're effective in delivering care in rural America. It's really great that the community really comes together from all these different aspects to help care for these rural communities. What are some of those challenges that your organization is facing due to being a rural health system? And how are you addressing those as CEO? Recruiting people to come work in rural America has been tough for years. And I think there have been several sitcoms that have talked about rural physicians and recruiting the right people to deliver care in the communities. So a couple things that we have done. Number one, we've tried to get really specific in terms of understanding what are the barriers for people to move to rural areas that we serve. You know, sometimes it's just housing, being able to access and identify housing for, you know, an individual or their families. The second thing is transportation, and we actually help support a number of public transportation systems because they move our employees around and they move our patients around as well. The third thing is really focusing on creating a spectrum of experiences for either the providers, the clinical staff that work, um, so they actually see the whole continuum of how we provide care to patients. So you say, well, what does that really mean? Well, that means that our hospitalists work here at the Academic Medical Center where it's like can be super intense, especially as we've gone through the pandemic, but they also provide services at our critical access hospitals for the inpatient hospital medicine services. So people actually get a little bit of a breather from the intensity of the academic medical center to take care of people in a smaller hospital that may be focusing on surgical throughput or just really caring for people with low acuity concerns in the community. And the same opportunity actually is there for our nurses that they could actually move up a career ladder working in several different rural environments. They don't actually have to leave the system because we're so widely distributed to actually advance their career and actually advance their leadership. So those are some things that we put in place to really make living in the rural part of the country more attractive to people. Now, you may say, you know, I think that's a beautiful place to live, and it certainly is. We certainly do market to the people that we are recruiting that there's no better place to, you know, strap a kayak to your car in the morning and it's probably less than 10 minutes till you finish your shift here and you could be kayaking on some of the most beautiful lakes or rivers in the state. And that's absolutely a really probably not well understood advantage of actually living and practicing in a rural but beautiful area of the country. Well, and it sounds like there's a lot of really great benefits in working for Dartmouth Health. What are some of your favorite aspects of the health system and and being the president and CEO? The most attractive thing about leading a system like Dartmouth Health is 
that each member has a unique contribution as well as have unique characteristics. Now there's some things that I like to say we're tight on because it's important to you know, really be aligned on your policies, how you manage your finances, audit and compliance, legal, but there are a lot of things we're loose on that the decisions and the implementation is actually left up to the site and every site's a little bit different. Joe Paris at Mount Escutney, our hospital in Windsor, Vermont, attends every single new employee orientation. I have this gigantic cart filled with Mount Escutney swag and everybody gets to pick a vest or a hat or insulated cup and they actually wear their swag proudly. I mean, they really identify with the institution. You could go to New London where we have a young CEO that started in March of the pandemic. So he's been doing a wonderful job, but he's really embedded in the community. They had a hospital days celebration about maybe two weekends ago. And I think there was a line at the dunk the CEO tank where people threw softballs at a target uh, so they could actually dump Tom into a vat of cold water. But <laughs> You know, there are traditions that really embed them in the communities. Um, make no mistake that when there's a pandemic, when there is something that frightens people from the community, the hospital opens their doors instead of closing them. And people actually do look towards their hospitals as sources of kind of information and shelter. Well, it sounds like Dartmouth Health has such a strong culture. And I know earlier this year, the health system rebranded as Dartmouth Health. Can you talk about the three-year strategic plan behind the new name and logo and how the rebrand has been rolled out so far? So first of all, it shouldn't have taken three years, but you know, we were doing it in the middle of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And many people would say, why? Why didn't you just stop? But we felt that we had changed so much as a system over the last you know, five to six years that we really needed to reintroduce ourselves to the community. Part of the new brand was actually spending some time thinking about who we were in the community and comparing ourselves to other organizations across the Northeast. And what we realized were that we are really a world-class institution. Our NCI-designated cancer center has the highest patient engagement scores of any NCI-designated cancer center in the country. Our children's hospital is the only one in the state. We're the only academic medical center in the state. And the innovations and the care that people can get here at the Academic Medical Center is truly extraordinary. And they can access that care from anywhere from the communities in which we have facilities. So as we thought about who we were, we said we were world-class institutions that were woven into the fabric of our communities because we were part of the community. And that's part of delivering rural healthcare. There's no anonymity. When I go to the supermarket locally, you know, you're gonna have a conversation with people that either receive care in your facility or work in your facility. And sometimes, frankly, you solve some pretty big problems in aisle three of the co-op. And that's actually the beauty 
of living in a rural environment when you're so close to the people you serve. And we really felt that talking about ourselves as part of the community was really important. It's different when you're delivering care to your friends and neighbors rather than people that you might never see again in a more urban environment. So you've served in healthcare executive roles for over 22 years and have served as president and CEO of Dartmouth Health for the last five. Can you talk a little bit about your career journey and your experience leading Dartmouth Health so far? Well, I never thought I would actually end up here. You know, I was a 1977 graduate of Dartmouth College, one of the first classes to be co-ed here. And it was a great experience. I was a full scholarship student and actually worked at a local restaurant for three of the four years here, which allowed me to actually pay for everything that your scholarship actually doesn't cover as part of your education. I left here never thinking about coming back and moved to South Carolina. My subsequent moves, though, actually kept bringing me further and further north. Actually, my late husband said, aren't we going in the wrong direction? Most people, as they get close to retirement, are moving south and we're moving north. I was uh, working outside of Boston when somebody called me about the job. And, you know, I'd never really thought about applying, but I applied. And, you know, it was interesting. During the interview, I realized that this was actually an opportunity for me to pay back a debt that I had to this broad community that actually had supported me in my education. I'm not sure that I would have been able to achieve what I've achieved in my life without a full scholarship, as well as an incredibly supportive community um, that became my friends and neighbors while I went to undergraduate here in Hanover. So it was a great opportunity. I felt sometimes you feel like your career goes in full circle. And so it seemed like the, exactly the right move. Oh, that's wonderful. How would you describe your leadership style and how has it evolved over your career? You know, we all take a number of personality and leadership tests. And I can tell you that my Myers-Briggs has changed as I've evolved as a leader. You know, I'm probably an ESTJ when I started, and now I'm an ENTJ. And I think as you go through your leadership experiences, you start to depend on more than facts. You depend on your gut. And I think Malcolm Gladwell actually wrote a bestseller about it. And there is something about your intuition, which actually can't be ignored as a leader. Now. I give a lot of leadership talks and I've got four tenets that I use all the time. The first is authenticity. You need to be an authentic leader. That means people feel like you're not manipulating them, that you are being honest and straight with them. And part of that is probably being a little bit vulnerable, which is always great when a leader can do that with great authenticity. The second thing is integrity. All of us need to commit to things, and if we can't deliver on them, we have to tell people why and when they can expect us to deliver on those promises. 
the third is being responsible and responsible for where we, you are. We all make choices and you have to be accountable and responsible for those choices you make. They get you to where you are. And finally, being committed to something bigger than yourselves. And that's what healthcare is all about. People that come here for a financial or, you know, reputational gain are probably in it for the wrong reasons. There's nothing that sustains leaders more in healthcare than actually looking at the impact you have on the lives of everybody that you work with and you care for. And that's why you do what we do every single day. Oh, I love that. I love those four tenets of leadership you shared as well. What advice do you have for aspiring healthcare leaders who are curious, but maybe wary of serving in leadership roles for rural institutions? I would advise them that it is probably an important part of their leadership training to understand rural healthcare. First of all, 20% of the people in the US receive healthcare in rural health systems. So it's not like we're an anomaly. More people receive care than most people appreciate. But in rural systems, you know everybody. And it's a great way to learn how to get things done. And it's not always because you've figured out the answer to a problem, but it's because you develop relationships, you can appreciate the challenges that people you're working with are facing because they are your neighbors. You learn a lot about how do you create win-win solutions, how do you lead authentically and create coalitions within your community to improve health. All those skills are incredibly important and translatable to a higher density environment. But sometimes it's hard to get those experiences in an urban or a busy suburban environment where you don't necessarily know everybody. I can tell you that the first couple of weeks I was here, I received a call from the governor of the state. You know, he had my cell, got my cell phone number from somebody and called me to, you know, welcome me and introduce himself. Like that doesn't happen in a lot of large states. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of benefits of really spending part of your career in rural healthcare. Joanne, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me and, and to share your expertise. I really appreciate it. Well, as always, it's a pleasure, Melanie. And, you know, thank you for highlighting rural health care and Dartmouth Health. Um, we appreciate introducing ourselves to more and more of your listeners. And thank you for listening to the Health Leaders Podcast. We'll be back next Tuesday with more healthcare industry insights.